You're listening to episode 94 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. All right, guys, I got great news. After countless fan emails from our fans, as opposed to someone else, I finally did it. I sent Marco away for reprogramming. Nice. So what can we expect when he's upgraded? So the new Marco 2.0 will come back to us with a better processing RAM. And more importantly, he will now be a fan of the superhero genre. Wow. That's right. He's going to love all the Marvel films. And he's no longer going to read Swamp Thing or watch anime. I was going to say, are they going to remove that pesky anime virus? But that's great. Okay. Even though they're increasing the RAM... That takes up a lot of fucking space in there for him. <laughs> so we, we have to start from scratch. And on top of that, as a nice added incentive and bonus, they're actually going to program the history of Marvel and DC Comics into him. So when he comes back, he's going to become the encyclopedia. You know, you're you're not telling the truth right now, but I wish you were. Because it would make sense for somebody on a comic book podcast <laughs> to have a... At least a rudimentary knowledge of superhero comics. Yeah. You, you think, right? When, when we sent out the application to fill these positions, we should have been more clear about the prerequisites required to fill the role. Yeah, I guess uh, saying that you wanted to do a comic book podcast just wasn't enough, was it, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we were very much like the like draft one of the Avengers, you know, where it's like... There's some top tier talent in there, and then it's also just like, yeah, these guys, uh, all right. Like well, who? Yeah. Well, I <laughs> now I gotta throw somebody under the bus. All right, uh, Pete, this uh, is you. This is time for you to pass your initiative. I mean, test. I'm just saying. No, you know, because I was gonna, I was gonna compare Marco to Hank Pym, but the worst thing I can say about him is that he's a wife beater, and I don't feel like Marco would beat anybody. You make that sound like such a low bar. Well, no, I mean, okay, that just sounds like I'm glossing over domestic violence now. I packed myself into a corner. Can we just move on, Sean? <laughs> no, I'm liking where we're at, actually. It's kind of fun. So the rest of the Comics Pals will now be hosted between Sean Bartley and myself. <laughs> it's been real, everybody. I'm down with that. Uh, we could talk about 50% comics, 50% wrestling. That's going to cover a wide Venn diagram of folks out there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guys change the name of the podcast to just that? 50% comics, 50% wrestling? Pete, you're still here. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? Well, I, I, I'm, still, I'm still producing the show, I guess. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fade into the background, you know? Oh, that's good. Yeah, we could definitely have you do the bitch work. <laughs> he, he says as a producer at a radio station yes well, i reiterate and underscore yeah we'll have you to do the pitch work oh boy all right well we are back for another one of these uh we just i don't know we just keep doing this um every week we're kind of like eh, maybe we should stop but then we show up at 11 a.m ish to do this for you guys and hopefully you enjoy it uh, we've been having a good time, so let lie, us know how dude. you're feeling about the show. I, I mean, all right, I guess I shouldn't lie. We've been having a decent time. Uh, it's been a time. It's been a time. It's been a long time, 94 episodes. Um, but yeah, let us know how you're feeling about the show, and uh, you can write to us 
in a variety of ways. We are on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and all those other places except Spotify. Um, so you can leave us a star rating or whatever the equivalent is on your platform of choice. You can hit us up on the social medias at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can write in with a random question of the week, a buy or sell, or anything else you feel like talking to us about. And we'll read it on the air, probably. Um, and last but not least, we're on YouTube, where if you are on YouTube right now, you can like this video, drop us a comment, share it with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Those subscribes help us out a lot. They're free to do, and they are way more important to us than they cost you. So hook it up. We're going to start this with a little bit of listener mail. <clears throat> yeah, so we got an email from uh, a listener of the show, Ryan Klubeck. This is his second time writing into the show. And uh, he hit us up at our email address, thecomicspals at gmail.com. He seems like a nice boy. Yeah, Ryan's a great guy. He's had a lot of nice things to say. Um, so he wrote in again, and uh, here's what he had to say. Uh, hey guys, first I want to thank you for reading my email about Life is Strange on the Video Game Pals, and for all your kind words that followed. Uh, go check out the Video Game Pals. I don't know what episode that was, but it was a good one. <laughs> uh, I checked out the other games in the series and was equally, equally enthralled by them. Uh, well, I'm glad you were. Uh, second, let me reiterate that I really, really enjoy listening to your individual takes on various comics. I appreciate how you really delve into the subtext of some of the books. Finally, I have a random question for you, <clears throat> and it concerns creator-owned comics rather than mainstream superhero books. What does Phil, that mean? I, I think that means it's time for the random question of the week! Oh. I I think the only way I could tolerate that from this point forward uh, is if it were auto-tuned. Oh, that would make it 1,000% worse. Yeah, but at least it'll shake it up and give it a little life. I, I think that means... It's time for the random question of the week! Well, that's true. It is kind of a dead bit, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make that sound bite now, all right? Oh so, no! Be careful what you I'm wish for. Let, yeah, we're gonna get some heat back in that segment. So, uh, if you could choose a creator-owned series that has either ended or nearly ended, and have a different creator uh, continue it, either picking up where the original creator left off or writing additional stories set in that universe, which series and writer would you choose? It should be noted that there is precedent for this sort of thing. Some examples include Brian K. Vaughn writing a Walking Dead story and Alan Moore writing for the Garth Ennis series Crossed. Uh, I just want to point out there, Brian K. Vaughn did write uh, a Walking Dead story, but Walking Dead isn't over or, like, near over. So um, I don't know if that breaks the – how we want to interpret that question. But um, he goes on to say, aside from having Grant Morrison do literally any of my favorite creator-owned books because he's so versatile. <laughs> a man after my own heart. That's true. Uh, yeah, especially he says, I'd love to see Ed Brubaker write Jason Aaron's scalped uh, overall. Oh, my God. Oh, that's good. <laughs> You're speaking Sean's language. Uh, overall, I'd say Brubaker is the best crime writer in comics, but Scalped is one of the best crime stories in comics. I'd love to see Brubaker play around in a unique setting, in the unique setting Aaron has created. I thought this question was fun to ponder, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for reading, and Phil, keep up, keep the hilarious impressions coming. Sincerely, Ryan. Um, impressions? I don't do. Oh, he must be talking about my LA impression I did last week. Uh, that's right. 
Uh, thank you. I've been working on my SoCal accent, and uh, I'm glad you appreciated it because um, I don't really do any, any any other impressions on this show. Yeah, awesome. never. All right. So first of all, thank you for writing in. Uh, I like the fact that you appreciate the way that we deep dive into the books and bring that kind of analysis. I think uh, that's sort of unique on some level in this space. And I'm glad that uh, someone out there in the listener space is enjoying it. Uh, That said, I do have an answer to your question. uh, And it actually involves the exact two people who you chose. Uh, Because I would like to see Jason Aaron write Ed Brubaker's recently finished Kill or Be Killed. Uh, Kill or Be Killed is a crime story, and it involves some supernatural elements. Jason Aaron is a writer who has really played around in the Marvel Universe for the last few years, uh, probably the last 10 years, but obviously he did have Scalp, and he's had some other really good creator-owned stuff that showcases his ability to write crime stories. Uh, In fact, um, Marvel gave him an event that ended up kind of being a crime story with original sin being a a whodunit within the Marvel Universe. So that's his, you know, bread and butter. I would love to see them pass the baton of Killer Be Killed. The other interesting wrinkle is that they, well, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a way to do that that completely keeps in enshrined what uh, Brubaker did, but would allow a seamless transition to another creative team and it wouldn't stamp on anything that's come before so i would love to see that Hmm. Hmm. how about you pete um so i actually kind of think i would want to see the inverse of what we got last time uh being a fan of both brian k vaughn and the walking dead i thought it was really cool when he did the one uh story that he did i thought the um the reveal at the end was like a little bit like okay but the, the the issue itself was really cool. It was a digital only issue, and it was kind of like uh, a different you know format than a standard comic. So definitely unique for The Walking Dead in both of those um, ways, and uh, it was cool. So I would love to see uh, those two creators kind of swap roles now and see Kirkman play around in one of BKV's universes. And um, I'd be down to see him do something in uh, in Saga, just because like. Aside from Oblivion Song, which, like, has sci-fi elements, like, you know, Kirkman, you know, definitely hasn't done too, too much in sci-fi. Like, there's definitely a good amount of cosmic shit in Invincible, and that stuff was always a lot of fun. So, um, I I think it would be cool to see him do something set in the universe of Saga that doesn't have to do with any of the characters of Saga. Because that's basically what he did for Walking Dead. You know, like, have it take place in some planet we've never seen before, some part of the, you know, like, you know, some part of the universe that has nothing to do with, you know, our main cast, but just is, like, set in the war. Um, Awesome. So, I had a few thoughts. Um, the, uh, The weird one was... The first thought I had was Mar- uh, Mark Wade taking over Saga, like good Mark Wade. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that distinction. <laughs> well, he's fallen off a little bit in recent years, um, but Mark Wade, especially like two thousand four, two thousand five ish, I thought he had such a good grasp on high octane sci fi fantasy. Or like Kurt Busiek is another one I thought would be interesting for that. Um, 
then another thought I had, I don't think this qualifies because uh, I don't know if Mignola owns Hellboy because it's published by Dark Horse, but uh, that seems like it's just naturally cultivated for someone like Alan Moore to play in. Um, that's like his whole kind of aesthetic is the creepy that's magic. That's a good pick. <clears throat> you know that's what I mean? Pick. Yeah. Um, and I was trying, uh, the other book I, I, I was thinking about was Bitch Planet and I couldn't think about who I would want to take over that because I really like it the way it is. Uh, and by the time it came to me, I couldn't, I was still languishing over trying to figure out who I would want to also write something like that. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I left off. Another thing I thought about was We Three, which is a Morrison book published by Vertigo. Mm. Um, that's the one about the the robot pets, right? Yeah, and um, the book, the author I thought that would be really perfect for that was um, um, Garth Ennis. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that because I, I think that book's tone and 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 message would really lend itself to his kind of style because he's like a hyper violent dude who can really draw meaning out of it so that that was just a few thoughts i had it's it's tough with with books that are 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 specifically driven by a creator because that's like their passion project right yeah yeah and i think like there's definitely mixed uh results you know because i think another example i can think of is there was an invincible spinoff called invincible universe that was basically this premise of like let's let other creators like just tell random stories in this universe with some of the like minor characters and it was just it was okay you know here's here's an idea this this is a little off the wall but it's a small indie character owned by Ditko and Lee named The Amazing Spider-Man. And I would be very interested in seeing Dan Slott and his take <laughs> on this character known as wow. The Amazing Spider-Man. The Adventures I, of Bill Spider-Man? I could get into that, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I think he favors Pete's favorabilities, his sensibilities. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds like a match made in heaven. That's right. I hope it runs for 10 years. <laughs> I bet it could. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thanks again, Ryan, for writing in. Keep the uh, emails coming. And, of course, as stated above, you guys can do what Ryan did and hit us up at the gmail.com at gmail.com if you so choose. Uh, and we will absolutely read your message to us on the air so let's do some pals pulls phil chose astro city broken century h what is that okay so oh no it's yeah yeah, yeah. um so that has been on my bucket list of books to read for probably five years and um from all from what i could tell this is like kurt buziak's like magnum opus like this is like right. the best thing he's ever done um, and it's like his take on kind of the superhero genre from my understanding. I haven't read it. So, and I, I, what's nice about it too, for me is it's one of those, I, I, when I go see a movie, for instance, I want to know as little about the movie as possible, specifically plot, because I want to go in as a complete blank slate and make up my own mind without any, the, the only thing I like to know going into a movie is if it's per perceived as good. Right. 
Because yeah. I, I don't want to waste my time going to see a movie that's perceived as wide, a wide perception of it is bad. Uh, otherwise, I, I want to go on the complete slate to com- have my own relationship with it. That's that's something I don't get with comics very often because I have a general idea of what I'm getting into because it's on the, the nature of a, a, a cover. You have an idea of what's happening. With, with Astro City, you don't know any of the characters because they're all creator-owned. And... I don't know what the themes are going to be. I don't know what the characters' uh, relationship to one another are. It's, it's a complete blank slate for me. And I think it's time for me to actually start reading this. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and so what is this actual book, though? Like, this this is coming out next week. Is this the whole thing collected? What is this? I think it's a, a specific story arc from what I could gather. But to me, it's like this. It's a sometimes when you look at a poll list and you see it, and you're like, "Shit, I need to get on this." Which is how I feel every time I see ba- uh, Tom King's Batman come out with a new issue. I'm like, "Well, shit, now I'm yep. 25 <laughs> issues back." <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually in a good place too. So I'd recommend uh, jumping on that. But yes, I have heard of Astro City. I've heard that it's really really good, and uh, like you, it's been on my radar, but I haven't jumped in. So if you do end up picking this up or just start reading books in this world, you should let me know how it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely do that. And there's like so many of the covers have been done by Alex Ross and the character designs. And, um, That's awesome. How often does he lend himself yeah. to things like that? Rarely, man. Yeah, exactly. Rarely. So I think that's indicative of maybe uh, the respect and care toward this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'd be. Uh, I'm. Uh, I want to really delve into this. Cool. So Pete chose uh, Magic Order number three. Yeah. So I actually didn't. Uh, I forgot that Magic Order number two had come out, and um, I really enjoyed the first issue. This third cover looks fucking gross, but uh, I, uh, I I thought it was a really really cool introductory issue, and I'm I'm excited to pick up number two and then get get this one as well. Number two was awesome i remember i remember you bringing it up and saying that it was like way better than the first one uh now that you now that you say that i wasn't super into the first one yeah i remember you were kind of lukewarm on it but um marco liked it too right yep well we'll find out when he comes back reprogrammed (laughs) well (laughs) yeah now now who knows right his opinions could all be totally different (laughs) now i I don't remember guys (laughs) all i know Uh, is i like batman (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, like, I like the idea that Marco is like the show's Astro Boy. You know, he's just our little little anime cherub sidekick. Well, yeah. I mean, that's uh, yeah. If the shoe fits, <laughs> but we can reprogram at will. Mm-hmm. We what, can what? make the shoes fit if we want to. We'll just reprogram the size of his feet. <laughs> what character could we make him love that real Marco would just hate? Harley Quinn. <laughs> oh man yeah uh, that's yeah. my that's my thought or maybe like what about cyclops i feel like cyclops is the <laughs> that was where i went with it too i was thinking cyclops he yeah uh I, I do like the idea of him as a cyclops fan deadpool i can see marco yeah like he deadpool. owns all yeah, the like, fucking yeah. daniel white books that's true yeah you're right Oh, uh, you know what's uh, death about this segment right now is that we're actually talking about Marco 
for longer than 90 seconds. His his narcissism is just flaring right now wherever he is. <laughs> While the actual listener tickers is just plummeting. They're like, Marco, oh, this is death in the ratings right now. <laughs> yep. Dead air. <laughs> so, so for me, I chose Extermination number one by uh, Ed Brisson. This is the storyline that is presumably going to eliminate the uh, time-traveled X-Men from the current continuity, the young X-Men who came into uh, our continuity a few years ago will finally be gone. I've been, Answering Sean's prayers. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. Uh, it was a decent little experiment that really should not have lasted this long. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they're trying to set things right in the X-World on some level. We'll talk more about uh, that a little later, but... Uh, this will at least undo that mess uh, and uh, hopefully put the X-Men in a better place. So Ed Brisson's been playing in the X-Men universe for a while now with uh, Old Man Logan, which has been really good. So I look forward to see what he does with more of a cast uh, on his hands. That's a... that's a, that's a tough job for any writer is to play janitor to like continuity and like messy universes yeah especially in a space that has really just seemed like the redheaded stepchild of marvel for a while obviously they've been doing things with the x-men but nothing that has felt substantial or front and center like it used to feel yeah yeah the last time i did anything that was front and center was that god awful avengers versus x-men event yeah that's what i was gonna say it's like that was what 2013 like 12 Even earlier 12 yeah 12 yeah and it's like and that was not anything to write home about <laughs> nope uh and then pete and i both chose crowded number one yeah uh so shout outs to the two episodes we did a couple months back where we had uh basically the entire creative team on to talk about the book um well on two separate episodes back to back right um yep. Yeah, so uh, Ted Brandt, Rostein are doing the art, and um, I I think that they are great. And like, obviously, they're both like kind of new names. I'd never seen any of their stuff before until we got to see um, you know previews for for Crowded. But uh, it it looks fantastic. Yeah, and and the other cool thing is that if you've been following, or you know, if you follow them on Twitter, that um, they've they've actually shown a lot of art from this book and a lot of stuff and it just looks so good and Christopher Sabella you know when he first came on the show he was a good writer and he's improved so much even since then uh, and obviously Crowded is a book that has been picked up and optioned for a film and it's you know that's probably going to happen so this is a book that will be uh, in the public lexicon at some point in the future so get in, get in on the ground floor support awesome creators and pick up what is probably going to be a really good book. Yeah. And if you're not sure about it, um, go check out the two episodes we did uh, recently uh, with, um, you know, Ted Brandt Rosine and then uh, with Chris Sabella. They're great. They talked all about the books. So um, they sold us on it. Yeah. It's not on my pull list because they're all my mortal enemies for being a, as talented as they are. And if I remember correctly, last episode, I think Chris Sabella and I, severed our super tight alliance that we had from the previous episode. He came at me. <laughs> I think so. Why? Why? I mean, Why you I, th- I think he just disagreed with my opinion on something. I mean, you deserved it, Phil, so. 
Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably earned whatever <laughs> ire he had now has for you. I would also say it would be supremely unwise to count any of them as your mortal enemy because they all have weapons. They told us as much on the show. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You're going to get shot with a crossbow? They're all just going to dispatch me in short order. <laughs> so let's let's dive into the news here. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week. And we're going to start in a place that I did not expect to even be going this week. So we knew that a Batwoman series was coming to CW. We didn't know who would play the character. We now know that Ruby Rose has been cast as Batwoman. How about that? Uh, it's 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 pretty incredible. So she's obviously going to be uh, playing the character for the Arrowverse, which is the CW uh, line of superhero shows. So she, it, she'll be within continuity of the Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Uh, and there's there's an annual crossover event that they do, and she will make her first appearance in that. Uh, and she had the following to say about what this role means to her uh, when she appeared on Jimmy Fallon to talk about it. I feel like the reason I kept getting so emotional is because growing up watching TV, I never saw somebody on TV that I could identify with, let alone a superhero. I've always had the saying, well, not me, Oscar Wilde, but same thing, which is be yourself because everybody else is taken. So, I always live by that motto, and my second motto when I came into the industry is, be the person you needed when you were younger. And I feel like one motto led me to the other, and I just kept crying about it. Now, from what I know about Ruby Rose, she's bisexual, which is fantastic because so is Batwoman. Uh, and she's bi? I thought, she was, I thought she was just a lesbian. Yeah, I think she's lesbian. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought so. And she's also gender fluid. Oh, uh, cool. Well, and, and actually, now that I think about it, Batwoman is a lesbian herself. So that actually makes yeah. even more sense. Oh, that's what I meant to say. I meant that about Batwoman, not Ruby Rose. I think Ruby Rose oh. is a lesbian, though. Okay. I think that's I'm, how I'm she not... sexually identifies. I could be wrong. I'm looking at her Wikipedia page right now. Uh... Great primary sources. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> We're killing it right now, guys. So, but that's that's it, yeah. In any event, uh, the fact of the matter is that it, she's not just uh, a, a straight person playing a character who is not straight. So it, it's pretty cool to see that they that they chose somebody who's gonna get that aspect of the character. Yeah, yeah. I think um, obviously, like representation in Hollywood is a, is a big deal, and it's something that I think uh, we're talking about more and more, right? As a culture, and um, I, you know, I think for a long time we looked at um, having straight people play queer characters as like progress, and uh, I think for a time it probably was, but um, you know, I think it's it's definitely good to see, you know, like just. Like like she said, right? Like this was her experience um, growing up that she never felt like she uh, had someone that 
represented her on television. The fact that she, you know, if the show is good and everything can ideally be that for, you know, a, a, a whole other generation of kids is great. That's, that's like, that is progress, right? Like that's seeing the world change, um, like, you know, literally through this one person, right? Like not necessarily like her changing the world, but I mean like seeing that change firsthand, right? Like, we went from a world where she felt like there was no one like her on TV to now someone like her is on TV playing someone like her. You know, it's like, and that's, that's cool. It, it, it was, it's, it was, it was funny to watch three straight dudes, uh, fumble around with identity politics there for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I wasn't familiar with her, her filmography before, uh, the announcement. I was looking it up and, um, she had been on, uh, that triple X series with, um, Vin Diesel. Oh right, yeah. Uh, the most recent one of those. She was in uh, the third season, possibly onward of Orange and New Black. As people yeah, told me yep. before the broadcast, I stopped watching after the second season. Um, and That's definitely her biggest, I think, like claim to fame. And then she was in John Wick too, which I had also never seen. Um, which is apparently very popular as well. I've, I know a lot of people who are all up the dick of the John Wick series. And that was intended to rhyme, kind of. Um, so that's cool. And I, I'm glad to see Bla- uh, the uh, Batwoman. <laughs> I almost said Blackwoman. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're killing it today, Phil. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm really glad to see Batwoman. She, um, she had a really good run around the New 52 by um, W.H. Blackman. I think that's why I almost said Blackwoman. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever read that. It was pretty good. That's actually one of my favorite runs ever. Yeah, uh, it's really solid. So, so Blackman and uh, James Williams. Williams III had just an absolutely incredible turn with the character that really is what made her into a mainstream character. Because before um, that, she was mostly in like detective and stuff, for the most part. Yeah, and so I... I I'm I'm in love with with this character. It's unfortunate that she kind of got downgraded. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, they they basically she was supposed to get married to I believe it was Renee Montoya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And DC scrapped it. That's clearly where the book was going. If you read it, it's very obvious. And then at the last minute, in the final hour, DC said no, and so the creative team said okay, bye. And that's, wow. that's kind of what that was. It's always that's rough. It's like a borderline meme at this point that Dan <laughs> that Dan DiDio hates marriages in comic books. Uh, yeah, and this is just another on that list of uh, of marriages that didn't work out uh, for mostly worse. I I would say. Um. So that's yeah. It's all uh, all good news all around. Um. Uh, I don't really keep up with the CW programs, but um. Uh, I definitely ascribe to the notion that a character like Batwoman, uh, is good representation for a perhaps less represented demographic of of our country, of, of the world. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, Sean, uh, you watch Orange Is the New Black, right? Yep. So, uh, I haven't watched the most recent season, but um, what what are your thoughts on Ruby Rose as an actress? Like, do you, yeah. do you think she's a good pick for, for Batwoman? Because that's kind of... I've seen a lot of people push back on that um, about the casting. Like, people are who are, like, fans of Batwoman being upset that she's the one who was cast, you know? 
That's um, where I was going to take it. This is a touchy subject, but uh, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> my my opinion is that uh, just because she is a lesbian and just because Kate Kane is a lesbian doesn't mean that she automatically is the best choice. Uh, I watch the season that Ruby Rose was a part of Orange is the New Black, and it wasn't she, she wasn't a revelation. She was serviceable, and she was serviceable on a show where she wasn't the main character. Here she will be, and that's a lot of weight on one's shoulders, and I don't know that she's improved since uh, when she was on Orange is the New Black. Um, I hope she has, because this is, an, this is an important role, an important character, and I hope that she can pull it off. Uh, but am I confident? No. Yeah, I uh, I would say that I echo a lot of those sentiments. Um, I think while I definitely like I said, I, I think it's it is a great idea to have someone who's um, queer play a queer character. It didn't need to be her. And like, I understand that, like, I think there's some heat behind her. You know, it's like she was on, you know, a very, very popular Netflix show. You know, she's a model. She's obviously, you know, a lot of people think she's very attractive. And I think like there's that's a headline right she's playing batwoman and i but i i don't i'm kind of with you or i don't really know that it, that she has the chops for this um because from my experience with her on that i think it was a season and a half of orange is the new black maybe but uh she was not like her character ended up being a fun injection in the show but I didn't think it was because of her as an actress, you know, like she, she, like you said, she was nothing revelatory. Um, I also didn't think that she was like standout terrible. You know, like I've seen a lot of people be, who are like, she sucks. She's a terrible actress. And it's like, I don't know that I agree with that, but I don't know that she's a leading woman, you know, like, and I, I guess like because she was in John Wick, she said she has action chops like, like that. Maybe she can do. You know, like that she's in good shape and maybe she's like, all right, I'm, you know, with stunts and stuff or whatever. But I don't know. It it, it, it seems like a weird choice to me. And uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out. But ultimately, you know, it doesn't really matter because I uh, like feel like I'm not really engaged with these shows. Um, unless it's crossing over with Riverdale. I'm not really paying attention. Classic. <laughs> I will watch this. this yeah. Is the only, yeah, this is the only one of these shows that has come out or been announced that really got me i love 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 batwoman and i'm gonna i have to watch this there's no way i can't i hope it i hope it works out you know i think for a lot of reasons i hope it works out yeah so uh we've got batwoman coming to the television end but we've also got supergirl coming to the film world uh now of course there is a supergirl show on the cw but we're getting a movie uh that is allegedly according to deadline on the drawing board for warner brothers with oren uziel scripting it uh now of course uh supergirl is a character who is extremely popular but has actually had a movie before she sure has lots of people you know don't know that and there's a good reason uh because it ain't good. But there, there's not a lot of news here specifically. I think for me what makes this really interesting is twofold. One portion is the fact that Supergirl already is 
in the CW universe, and we know that there's not a ton of crossover there. Although, to be fair, the Flash, the Flash television show exists alongside the Flash in the film universe. Uh, so that, you know, fair point. Um, the other thing is the the writer. Uh, so Oren is sort of a, I, I guess, an, an up-and-comer. Um, he he worked on a Mortal Kombat YouTube series or whatever that some people might be familiar with. So, Sean, would you say that Oren is the new black? Oh, God. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <Wow. laughs> oh, my God. I expected better. Um, this is better the comics, pals. <laughs> that really should be where we stop. Uh, that's where people Thank turn you. Out, so. I will be here all week. Uh, he also wrote 22 Jump Street, The Cloverfield Paradox, and Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie. The new one? That's coming yeah. out? Yeah. Oh. I think that's the only Sonic the Hedgehog movie there is, but yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. What if he wrote the classic Sonic the Hedgehog film starring Julia White from the 90s, Phil? Ooh. Wait, was that a movie or a show? Well, didn't he also voice him in one of the movies? I think it was just a show. I don't know. I well, it was a show, but there was, like, spinoff movies. Were there really? Yeah, dude. Well, all right. Uh, but, yeah, so so, what do you guys think about this? I, I heard a rumor that the reason that Henry Cavill left Man of Steel was so that he could play Supergirl. Wow. <laughs> uh I you know, I, I feel the same way about this I feel about every time the DC quote unquote announces a movie, I'll fucking believe it when I see it. You know? Um like the idea of a supergirl movie, like, does that appeal to me? Sure. If it's good, you know? Like I'm I'm down for literally any uh superhero film or superhero to get a film if they're like if it's going to be well executed. Because, like, I don't have any relationship to Supergirl. Like, I don't really know much about her, aside from the fact that she's Superman's cousin. And, you know, I know that there's, like, two or three versions of her that all have very different backstories. But in terms of, like, who are the people in her life who are important and all that kind of stuff, like, I don't really know. Um, But I didn't really know that stuff about Wonder Woman until there was a movie. And then there was, like, a reason for me to go uh, crawl down, you know, that rabbit hole. So, uh, yeah, I'd be down, like... I haven't watched. I haven't watched a ton of the CW show. I've seen clips and uh, Melissa Benoist is that her name? Yep. Uh, it may not be how to pronounce her last name, but that's yeah, it. I've never heard it out loud, and it might be like a more French, uh, like Benoist. Yeah. <laughs> she she always she always puts her antagonist in the cross face, but that's beside the point. Oh, does she really? No. Oh. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, she has like the right attitude like she's got the like she's got the personality down it seems like it's like she she seems really charming as a character um i'd be really interested in seeing a supergirl movie the plot of injustice 2 was that supergirl was more superman than superman was and in light of man of steel i think that could be true of a film as well that'd be good yeah i so on on its face i'm into the idea of a supergirl film Right, but at the same time, an- announcing this, you know, this coming out with no precursor, is like t- it's to me it's reminiscent of like if you were to say put out a 
War Machine movie with no without him ever coming out in Iron Man before. Well, it's not just that, but Henry Cavill is leaving the DC Cinematic Universe, and they're going to be making this movie with no Superman, presumably. I love that you're saying that. Uh, so they'll have a Superman; it just won't be him. Maybe. So I, I don't think that I don't think that this is the way to go necessarily and i only say that uh because we need we need that relationship to be established i would imagine right like yeah we we need we need to see them together before anything their whole thing is that uh they're the only survivors of their planet and that's like their relationship to one another is that like their family in a place without family kind of thing also, I just sent you guys a link to the uh, Twitter page that uh, from the Hollywood Reporter that talks about uh, Henry Cavill exiting the DCU. Uh, you should click that link to read to read the article. Oh, all right, I'm going to do that for our listeners now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth it. Wait! Holy! Ah! <laughs> oh my God! Lemon party! Oh my God! <laughs> That's so funny. I love that you uh well Phil, have you clicked on it? Uh it's it's a Starbucks ad right now. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, well Oh, it's Rick uh, Astley. Yeah, you got yeah. Rick rolled. Oh, man. You guys got Rick rolled. Uh yes, we are Rick rolling on a podcast in 2018. <laughs> That's what we've come down to. The only reason why I did that and I wasn't going to bring this up on the show at all, but Phil was and, and, and you guys were both talking about that as if it were true. And so I needed to get you both. That's, yeah. It's not true at all. Damn. Was, I saw I saw it on Twitter. I just like saw people being like, oh, he quit. I was like, oh, shit. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's a fake Hollywood Reporter uh, account. And even if you were to look toward, so to your left, it says parody account. That's, but, really, uh, that's I, really fucking funny. I skimmed right by it and I was like, yep, I guess Henry Cavill's gone. So I guess Henry Cavill's going to be friends with Supergirl in the next movie, huh? <laughs> I think I think I think the funniest thing is that we both just like ass- we're like, oh, that's plausible. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like why wouldn't you want to get out of that, right? Yeah. Like, well, in light of something we'll talk about later in the show with regard to Dave Bautista, I could totally see people being like, hey, uh, this bad thing for my career, get me out of it. I think I think with when it comes to uh, Henry Cavill, we would know. There'd be some rumbling. There's always, you know, smoke before the fire when it comes to these sorts of things. And that just came out of nowhere. But uh, in any event, with regards to Supergirl, I'm yes on the idea of a movie, but not as into it if it doesn't come after a Man of Steel 2 type of situation where she's where she, that'd be a great way to introduce Brainiac, right? Like something yeah. like that. You could even borrow yeah. from Injustice 2 in that regard. Uh, so we've got some, some sad news. Well, sad, depending on your perspective. Uh, Stan Lee will no longer be doing convention signings or public signings of any kind. Uh, unfortunately, we, we all know and, and understand that he's had a rough year, a rough couple of years with the death of his wife and all the stuff that went down with his daughter and with Kia Morgan. 
Um, but it seems like now he's 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 working with the right people again. Um, and according to Bleeding Cool, uh, who spoke to a representative for uh, Lee, uh, they're, they're saying the following. To be very clear, Stan is 100% not doing any convention slash public signings. In the last few years, his well-being had been compromised by people for monetary gain, and that practice is over. There was the video that was widely circulated earlier in the year of Stan doing a signing and looking very, very just withered and, you know, out of it. And Kia Morgan having to tell him how to sign his own name. And what was the thing that, like, he had been there for, like, two or three hours or something like that with no break, right? No break, yeah. Just looking very tired. Um, So even though it sucks because I've never had the opportunity to meet Stan, and I'm sure that there are, you know, his millions of fans across the world would love that chance, especially before he passes, you know, and this kind of coming out of nowhere, everyone assuming we would know when his last signing would be. The fact that it's just over like that, kind of sad, but at the same time, this is the best thing for him, and so I'm happy to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't even have anything to add. That's that's exactly how I feel. Um, I've missed out on meeting him a couple times, unfortunately, and uh, yeah, I always thought I'd have an opportunity, but you know, I'm, I'm happy for his sake that you know that there are people that care about him at the helm now and that are thinking about the fact that you know. Maybe this man in his 90s doesn't need to be going to Comic-Cons anymore. Especially, I mean, he's rich. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't need the fucking money. Uh, I guess that means for me to meet Stan Lee now, I'm just going to have to wait for him at an airport, track down his flight number, and just harass him there. Wow. And that'll <laughs> work. Let's not harass anybody, let alone elderly people. Uh... <laughs> So, Phil, a.k.a. the guy who stalks 90-year-old men. Good job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. So we, we mentioned earlier about the X-Men and where they were going next. And we know that Extinction is coming. And at San Diego Comic-Con, we got the announcement of Uncanny X-Men without any creative team or anything like that. Well, Marvel has lifted the lid off of this big secret, and we finally know what's coming. So, Uncanny X-Men is returning, but there will also be a a 10-part weekly story called X-Men Disassembled that, if I'm understanding this correctly, will take place within the Uncanny X-Men series, begin with number one, and I I imagine it will run through for 10 issues, the first 10. So that's the first part. Uh, And now... Reading from the comicbook.com article, uh, X-Men Disassembled is a 10-part weekly series that brings together just about every mutant left of the Marvel Universe, and Marvel is saying that it features an epic tale of mystery and tragic disappearance with an adventure so earth-shattering it could very well be the X-Men's final mission. Hyperbole aside, and obvious BS aside, uh, there is a pretty cool um, sort of teaser image that they released which features... A pretty hefty list of X-Men. It's just about all of the currently living uh, characters. The other big thing announced here is who the creative team will be. Because it's actually six creators that are involved in this. 
I should say six writers and artists. We don't even know how many colorists and you know different people like that. Uh, so probably Ed, like a hundred, <laughs> right? Uh, so Ed Brisson, Kelly Thompson, and Matthew Rosenberg will be doing the writing, while Mahmoud Asrar will do the art for issue number one. Uh, and it's actually it actually says Mahmoud Asrar and more. It doesn't say who the more are for issue one. R.B. Silva for issue two. And Yildere Sanar for issue three. And then we don't know who else is on the book for the rest of the issues. But it kicks off November 14th. So quite a bit of ways away. But uh, the reason I'm bringing this up, and I want to get your guys' feedback, is because I don't enjoy the idea that when you relaunch your flagship title, you're doing so in a way where you're saying, hey, the X-Men might be over now, which is crazy. Um, And then also, it feels like the X-Men are always just right on the brink of destruction. Yeah. Why can't we get away from that for just a little bit? Yeah, Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's that's 100% my reaction to this. And it sucks because, like, you know, I, I love the X-Men. You know, they were, like, a huge part of, of my uh, entrance into comics. And, like, every kid in the 90s, like, I fucking loved the X-Men. And the fact that I felt so disengaged from them for so long has always been a huge bummer to me. And, um, you know, this doesn't... It just feels like this is such a trite story. Like, we've done this before. You know, like you said, the X-Men are always on the verge of destruction. And how many times have we been told that this is a story that could be their last adventure and uh, it's going to put them to the very uh, test, their very fabric. And it's like I like I fucking get it, you know, and it's like I would I would be way more interested in them having like a sincere moment of just like, hey, like this is this is like a soft reboot of the X-Men. And they don't have to call it that. But like, I mean, like, but sincerely do that. Of just, like, we're trying to have, like, a back to basics, a return to form. We want to keep what's worked and the characters that people like and and get rid of the stuff that doesn't and try to, like, forge a new path forward. And, like, that's the attitude I want to see, not the, the X-Men are back with this big dramatic event. It's like, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't care right now. And, like, this isn't making me care. They've they've completely just sabotaged the X-Men and, 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 and over the last... 15 years in the most remarkable ways. Um, back in the early 90s, when it was Chris Claremont and Jim Lee in the title, it was a pop culture phenomenon. Those designs became, uh, became, you know, iconic. Iconic. And they launched a really popular television show on Fox. Um, and those issues were the top selling issues in all of comic books by a wide margin. Um, your mileage on the quality of those books may vary, but like, it, the, I mean, Chris Claremont, obviously the father of uh, everything that works in the X Men, um, he he clearly had kind of the right idea of what to do with it. And Jim Lee, of course, was a rising rising artist. Um, for my money, the last time anyone did anything really remarkable with the X Men was Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley's run on New X-Men, circa, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, I think, as far, maybe 2003 even, uh, where he kind of did his, they, they kind of did their own unique thing with the characters. And since then, other than maybe Joss Whedon and maybe Jason Aaron to a lesser extent, 
they've parked a lot of less proven writers on the book and and just fucked with it. I, or I think of something like House of M, and this is a controversial. Well, I guess they had Bendis on it too recently, but um, I think of House of M, and I think that's where it really started for me, where they just fucked with everything. And and since then, especially in the last ten years, it's been a backseat priority. A lot of speculation has been because of Disney not owning the film rights in light of, of Disney's acquisition of Marvel Studios. Um, can we, like... Uh, this is a long-winded point, but can we actually, like, restore this franchise to, like, being important and meaningful? I think, yes. I, I, I and, and I would say an emphatic yes. It can be, but will it be, you know, is is the question. And I think, like... The thing that's that's tough though right now, right, is I think uh, it's in this awkward position, and like it, it kind of reminds me of um, not not exactly the same situation, but like that gap of the downturn for Batman, right? Like between um, uh, fuck, what was the first one that people are like lukewarm about? Where they kicked off Burton before Batman and Batman Robin. Forever. Yeah, because I, ba- I think that Batman Forever is okay, but between, like, from that movie until, like, Batman Begins, right? Like, there was definitely a point where, like, that IP had kind of gotten, like, it, it stumbled, you know? And, and like, it, it wasn't, like, the proven seal of quality that it had been. It was like, oh, can we get another good Batman movie, you know? And it's like, well, we could. We just needed somebody with the right vision. And I think, like, the, the problem with the X-Men is... um that I think, like, for younger generations that, like, care about Marvel now, they probably don't care about the X-Men. They don't have that connection or that resonance because they haven't been exposed to them in the movies. They're not in video games for the most part. And, you know, there, there's just no – there's no cartoon. There, there's nothing. There's no thing that is your avenue to the X-Men as a child right now. Whereas there are all those things for the Avengers and Spider-Man and, you know, take your pick. And uh, I think I think that's the big worry to me more than anything is that, like, to, to make the X-Men, like, a cultural phenomenon again is a huge uphill battle. But it starts with a solid like comic run it's, it's you not, know like it's, it's not even being at that even going that far you, you talk about val kilmer's batman being a lull but even in the books at the time you know uh jeff Loeb had put out something like hush and that was a huge book in the landscape of comic books at the time uh and i mean there were still good batman books coming out and i'm not saying necessarily that that there aren't good x-men books coming out but i mean for, for my mileage it has been very good for the last several years um my point is that if it, it feels like, and you've talked about the lack of X-Men characters in video games and cartoons, it feels like Marvel sabotage something 25 years ago was their only thing keeping them around financially because obviously they effectively declared bankruptcy five years later. Yeah, well, in the 90s, it was like, you like at least, you know, from my perspective, like X-Men and Spider-Man were what it was all about, you know? Like, to, to a much lesser extent, Hulk, maybe. You know, like, I remember there was a Hulk cartoon. I remember Hulk was, like, kind of a big deal. But, like, 
like you said, like X-Men was really their fucking bread and butter and Spider-Man's always a, been a successful character, you know? Um, and like, yeah, I mean, I, I think frankly, like you're right. Like it, it is a thing that they, they, they seem seemingly intentionally tried to sabotage because of the way that the rights worked out. We all know about the whole, like, it seemed like the push was they wanted to make the Inhumans the new X-Men. Fans rejected that. They reacted and were like, okay, fine, here's more X-Men, but not really. And, you know, it's like, it, it's felt like they've never really recommitted to the brand since that that moment, you know? Yeah. What, what, what do you think, Sean? Well, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I think making the X-Men relevant would be as simple as putting out good stuff. Yep. Uh, I, don't think it, I don't think it really takes much more than that, especially now that they're getting the rights back on film. I think you can you can easily bring them back to a return to form. What I don't want to see is them in a holding pattern for longer until the rights issue is fully cleared up and then say, here's the return of the act. Like, this needs to be the moment. The, this relaunch, Uncanny X-Men, bringing that brand back, this has to be the moment. And this could easily be great. It doesn't, just because it's disassembled or whatever, it doesn't mean it's going to be bad. I'm just worried because I don't like the idea of bringing them back, bringing the Uncanny X-Men brand back just to do an event that touts itself as what's going to tear them apart. They're already torn apart. Don't do it again. And they have been for a while. So, uh, let's talk about something else that's not working out too well. Or maybe it is. The Sony Cinematic Universe. Nope! Oh, it is working out pretty well. I thought you were talking about my romantic life. (laughs) there's, There's actually a lot to talk about in this realm. And I want to start with branding. Because now... Sony has a name for their universe of characters with Marvel, which is Sony's universe of Marvel characters, All right. or some C. Some C. Stop! Yes. Let's do it. Indeed. Just fucking stop. Some C, or some C that these movies suck. <laughs> Boom! My man! <laughs> uh, and, and, and Sony has a lot, has had a lot to talk about. Uh, Variety did a huge piece, a great piece, about what the studio is doing with its Spider-Man universe um, and where things are going. Now, Sanford Panich, who is the president of Columbia Pictures and the executive overseeing what is being called internally, as I said, some C, says... We're focused on being faithful to the comics. No, you're not. <laughs> That's a lie. It's fine. What if, if this is what they want to do? It's fine. If you want to have a, a a universe of characters, then whatever. But don't say you're being faithful to the comics because that's not true. With Venom, it appears that is the case. But you don't have Spider-Man, so you're not right. Like there's a portion of it that is the case, but then there's also a portion of it that's like, well, if you're not using Spider-Man, then that's just not genuine. That being said, uh, it appears, according to this uh, huge variety uh, article, and according to Sanford himself, that Silver and Black is off the table. Thank fucking God. Aww. 
But instead, they're going to make a black cat. Yeah. And a silver sable. Yeah. Alright. Why? 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 It's nothing sacred, Sean. Yep. They know how to make Pete happy. Uh, so Gina Prince Blythewood so upset. was the director for Silver and Black. And if you guys recall, a few months ago, she made comments about how the movie was stalled. And it was because they didn't have the script finished and that they were just waiting to get the right script. Well, there ain't going to be a right script because there ain't no movie now. And it's highly unlikely that she will remain on board to direct either of these movies. Although... According to Variety, she will serve as producer for both films. Uh, so that, you know, if you're if you were hoping for this movie to release, that's bad news. The good news is that we're getting two movies instead, and that's the that, good news. Well, for those of for those of us who were interested in this, uh, and they've also announced Jackpot as a movie that they will be making as well. Oh, now, Jackpot. Jackpot's a very new character. Uh, she debuted during the the big time uh, period of of Spider Man, uh, created by Dan Slott and Phil Menes. Uh This is not a character that I really care about at all. Um, but she's getting a movie. All right, apparently. Great. I'm in. So Sony, yeah. Sony really killing it. Um, Home runs. Really killing me. <laughs> Good. Let's get you in the ground, buddy. Please. The, there, there is potentially some good news here. And the good news is that Sony appears to be open to other Spider-Man characters appearing in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Uh, so according to the article from Variety, Sony and Marvel have a much more positive relationship than they had previously and that's of course because things have gone so well with spider-man in the mcu what a surprise uh and the report notes also that the relationship between these two studios will continue in future projects uh including with spider-man and other characters within his universe so that makes me feel like they're probably going to renew the contract that allows Spider-Man to appear within the MCU. That's what that sounds like anyway. Well, I guess that's a side effect of better news here. Phil. <laughs> Stop. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm hurt enough. All right. I, I guess that's the monkey's paw here. You make a wish for Sony to make all these movies, and the side effect is, uh, I guess he still, ha I guess Spider Man still has to be in the MCU. All right, all right, monkey's paw, so you got me. Ugh. There is. I'm gonna end this on a negative note. There is a negative note. All There's. Right. This is all, like 95 percent negative note, Sean. Better <laughs> <laughs> not be a pun about the negative man. It's it's not because I don't do bad shit like that. Uh, See you, Pete. <laughs> the negative note is that we've all believed all along that Venom would be an R-rated movie. That appears to not be the case. It did appears we? that they, I did. Oh, okay. I absolutely did. Uh, 
it appears that Venom will actually be a PG-13 movie because Sony wants to start a precedent for their rollout of future movies. Well, I, I get it. Uh, at the end of the day, you want as many people to go see this really good movie as possible, and I get it. I mean, they did what they had to do, right? Yeah, they did what they had to do, right? They made this movie on a, a really quick timeline so they could cash in on an anniversary so they could make a bunch of money. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, that's that's exactly what you want to see in Hollywood, right? Like making a decision that's not based on the film, but on setting a precedent for a universe that you're going to make full of secondary or third string or fourth string characters. That's exactly what you want. I can't hear you, Pete. I can't hear you beyond all the awesome money they're printing right now. Well, we shall see. <laughs> so, just just so that we're all clear and we can move on, the current slate Let's do for it. Sony looks like this. Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, Venom, Morbius the Living Vampire. Yeah. Black Cat. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Silver Sable. U.S.A. And jackpot. All right. Oh, the jackpot's going to be like that giant Avengers moment where everything just culminates in one awesome movie. <laughs> I'm ready for it, baby. And Stick that's a fork to... in my fucking brain, Sean. <laughs> Petey, that's not even what's to mention... wrong, baby? Ooh. That's <laughs> not to my... mention Silk. I'm sorry, which go was ahead. also discussed. Uh, or any of the number... Craven is not uh, listed here. Yeah. Good. Um, Good. Mysterio movies not listed All here. Right. So there's a lot of things that may even be coming that, that we, you know, that aren't listed here. This or ideally, maybe these IP actually are going to go to Marvel instead. Sh- Thank God. This is what I um, want to say. I want to see the following Spider Man movies coming out of Sony. I want to see a Ben Riley movie. I want to see a Spider Ham movie. I want to see a Spider Man 2099 movie. I want to see a Miles Morales Spider Man movie that's live action. And I want them to all take place in the same world and same reality as Peter Parker, but there is no Peter Parker. Uh, well, I don't like the idea of no Peter Parker, but I love the idea of a Miles Morales movie. And I also love the idea of a Spider Man 2099 movie. Yeah, I fucked with the Spider Man 2099 movie. You know, anytime soon. They might not even make that movie until 2099. But I think it would be cool if if that happened at some point. That'd be really funny if, real talk, 2095 rolls around and Marvel, Sony, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like uh, almost 100 years from now. They're just like, you know what? This is coming up. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just like, maybe we should do this movie, huh? I wouldn't put it past them, man. And it takes uh, place yeah, in the setting cool. that they create a hundred years ago, and that's probably going to be far from the truth anyway in twenty ninety nine. So, so wait, just real quick, Sean. Uh, so it's Venom, and then what's the second one? It, it, it's not in any order. Oh, okay, all right. Well, so okay, yeah. Pete, just, you, just can, to... you can write them down in your own calendar so you can get ready to go see him. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I sure, Phil. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, so just to just to put a a period on this horrifying paragraph. Um, I'm Peter Bessie, and I'm excited. My Spider Man. I don't understand why anyone is excited for these movies. Um, I I still don't think Venom looks very good. This strategy of 
announcing a cinematic universe before you even have one movie out. That that worked so well for everyone else who's tried that, right? And, and I don't, I'm not even just saying DC. Like, everyone. Like, remember that fucking uh, movie monster universe we were going to get? Universal. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was awesome, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And Godzilla? That was great, too. Like, just, it's like, guys... I don't I don't know why anyone thinks this is going to be good and the fact that they're saying our goal is to be faithful faithful to the comics is bullshit and my 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 I'm sorry one one more thing he's got to compose himself uh, and then the idea <laughs> that they're willing to you know potentially kneecap venom just so that they can set a precedent for all the other movies in their fucking not-yet-real-universe full of B-list and C-list characters and Venom. Uh, the fact that anyone has any confidence in this just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And the more we hear about it, the worse this sounds. And my one my one hope among hopes is that Venom is such a colossal flop and Morbius or whatever comes next is such a colossal flop that they don't get their fucking dirty hands on Black Cat. That's the one fucking solace that I can hope from from this mess. You're probably all wondering, listeners, why Pete is so anti-Sony. And it's a bit of a sore spot. And it's a bit personal. But allow me to take you on this journey of why Pete and Bessie hates Sony Pictures so much. It was long ago Pete and Bessie was once a nice young intern for Sony. And one day he didn't get the necessary executive his coffee. Will Pete realize... That was going to be the day that changed everything. Pete thought he was a hotshot. I thought he didn't have to get the executive coffee. Well, later that day, as he saw him going down the elevator, Pete found out that that executive shot his Uncle Ben. And that, wow. and that Uncle Ben passed away. That was a long walk for a short <laughs> drink of water, my friend. And <laughs> Pete decided from that day on that he would hate everything Sony does. <laughs> Because you didn't learn with great power comes great responsibility and that you need to bend at the knee for your Hollywood overlords. So there you have it, folks. That's why Pete hates Sony. It's a personal vendetta. It's really tragic when you think about it. Oh, my God. Somebody save me from this never-ending nightmare. <laughs> that, what Phil just did, was about as good as Sony's plans for... <laughs> their universe that's giving sony a lot of credit <laughs> that's true <laughs> all right so we've got the james gunn saga oh boy ongoing and i'm sure the never-ending story of yeah, dave batista <laughs> oh hell yeah <laughs> we're all we're all a little bit you know bummed about this i think and uh, so is Marvel, apparently. So is Dave Batista. So is the cast of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't think that this is going to end anytime soon. Uh, but Variety, or not Variety, I'm sorry. The Hollywood Reporter put out a big time article talking about this whole thing and updating the entire story. And there's a lot of news in on this front. Now, earlier this week, one of the big rumors was that Marvel was throwing out James Gunn's script for Guardians of the Galaxy. And on this very show, I said last week that I didn't imagine that they were going to use his script because it's his script. And that what director would want to come in 
in a situation where they were weeks away from shooting with a script already written by another director who's no longer involved in the project, that they would need to get a new director, new script, and delay the project. Well, Dave Batista then said, obviously who plays uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, said that he would quit if they didn't use the script. Now, what, what he actually said was, where I'm at right now is that if Marvel don't use that script, then I'm going to ask them to release me from my contract, cut me out, or recast me. I'd be doing James a disservice if I didn't. Batista has been very, very... Uh, loyal. Yeah, very, very loyal, very angry about the situation. And he's been vocal this entire time. He was the first one to tweet, and he's been talking about it since it happened, of just like, fuck this. Yep. <laughs> Uh, he 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 went on to state that he's legally obligated to do a third third Guardians movie, but Guardians of the Galaxy without James Gunn is not what I signed up for. And uh, it's it's very easy to see his perspective. Well, and then I'm sorry, just there was also that one tweet he said where I think he said that it was like sickening to work for Nauseate. somebody, nauseating, yeah. right? To work for somebody that would enable that would fire this based on this right wing, you know, nut. Basically, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but yeah, like, and that was obviously a very, like, that's a bold fucking thing to say about your employer who you're still under contract with, you know? It's fucking badass, like he's, though. He's not pulling any fucking punches, and I respect the hell out of him for it. I'm pretty sure Big Dick Dave is going to Batista bomb everyone at Disney. <laughs> I think Big Dick Dave is going to be the, the latest in the line of people to get recast in fucking Marvel movies. Yeah. So, I, I think Drax, uh, Dave Batista is going to play Drax, regardless of all this. Uh, not only because, yeah, not only because he doesn't have a choice, but because, according to Variety, I'm, I keep saying Variety, The Hollywood Reporter. According to The Hollywood Reporter, that rumor about... Uh, Disney not using James Gunn's script was completely bunk. In fact, yes. they plan to use his script, uh, and that James Gunn is likely to be paid between seven and ten million dollars to use uh, his script and to be released from his contract. You know, payout. Uh, and and the fact that they want to use his script is muddying the waters of them releasing him from this deal altogether. Uh, now he wasn't. Pay or play, which is what happens when a movie is either actually uh, greenlit, which means that they're they're you know engaged in in production and everything else, or eight weeks out from production. In that case, he would get paid the full amount he's owed for the film. Uh, so, in this case, um, Gunn hasn't he didn't breach his contract. He didn't do anything technically wrong under the 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 script or i'm sorry not the script under the contract that they signed because these tweets came out years before he signed a contract with disney so in the time of his contract he didn't do anything wrong he's being punished for things he did before he signed with them uh now the other wrinkle that makes this really interesting is that there's a possibility, according to the Hollywood Reporter, that 
Gunn could return for another Marvel movie altogether. That's weird. The quote from the from the article, which is citing a source that's got, of course unnamed, is an end all verdict ha- hasn't been issued, and conversations with Marvel are still ongoing. The article ends with another uh, studio executive who says, Most people feel his comments were coming out of his brand of comedy at the time he made them. Having an inappropriate sense of humor should not be a crime. I, I completely echo those sentiments. Yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think one night we're going to see James Gunn pop up over at Warner Brothers. And Eric Bischoff's going to announce that he's going to be directing a Green Lantern Corps movie. That would be crazy. <laughs> um, this situation is so murky. So many people want James Gunn back. So many people don't want him back. I think, honestly, Disney might look bad either way. Yeah, they're at this the, point, yeah. Yeah, but the question in my mind, is what's worse, rehiring him or not rehiring him. Right. If you don't rehire him, the ca- the whole cast is upset. The cast, the crew, you got to imagine the crew. No one's looking for their comments, but I'm sure they're upset as well. They might just mail it in, too, for the third movie. That would suck. Like, like Natalie David Batista Portman might not try at all. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so you'd have them upset. You'd have fans upset. But... I think the movie still happens, and I think pretty much the same amount of people still go see it. I think people want this whether James Gunn is involved or not. The other side of that is what happens if you do rehire him? What about the people who are upset about what he said and don't feel he should be back? There's a chance that those people are angry enough that they don't go see the movie. Yeah, and I think... I think it's tough though, right? Because I think to your point that there are enough people that will go to see this movie even if James Gunn isn't involved because ultimately they don't care. I think that's probably true in the opposite way as well. You know, that like – I think there are, a, there are a contingency of people that care a lot about the fact that he did this. But I think that there are also a ton of people that don't. Um, and I, I wonder if even losing the sales from those people that would be mad is worth – having to pay out him for firing him as well as paying him for using his script as well as dealing with the fact that you might have to like fire and replace Dave Batista or whoever else wants to walk or whoever else is upset or might phone in a performance or not, you know, meet their deliverables or what the fuck ever. And no matter what, it's a PR nightmare. So why not, why not cut your losses and just be like, all right, fine. We look bad for, a news cycle or a couple news cycles and then guardians three comes out and everyone likes it. And nobody gives a shit and we move on. You know, I think if not, I think that there will always be people who are making the Edgar Wright comments about guardians three of like, man, what could have been if it was really James Gunn's vision and, Oh, and especially if it's bad and the first two are great. And then the third one sucks and oh, they ruin guardians. And then all of a sudden they ruin this IP that they spent the last how many years making fucking relevant, you know? Uh, and, and that to me doesn't seem worth it at all. You know, like for me, like if I was in their position, I'd say, fuck it. Like, let's backtrack, take the bad PR for a couple of weeks and fucking just move on. What do you think, Phil? 
Um, well, it sounds like Pete's trying to get a job as an executive at Disney now in light of everything that happened to Sony, so there's that. Hey, I'm just saying, there's room for me. I've got I've got ideas. Um, I think my big takeaway, honestly, is the conviction of Dave Bautista. Uh, I really admire him standing by a friend uh, through a lot of crossfire. Um, that's pretty fucking badass of him. Yeah, especially given that he's, you know, an orphan who isn't, you know, <laughs> he doesn't really have a family. Like, he's found his new family with the Guardian and James Gunn. <laughs> James Gunn is his new father figure. <laughs> you know, this is a, uh, this is, this is a, an irrelevant, uh, comment, but, uh, I, I, I wanted to say I actually saw the episode of Raw where Ric Flair <laughs> brings up Dave Batista being an orphan. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. You're an animal. Woo! You're also an orphan. Woo! Now go out there and get them. <laughs> it was pretty much just like that. Um, th- th- there's another there's another wrinkle to this whole James Gunn song that we didn't even get to, which is that. Marvel Studios is now taking the fight to Disney and lobbying for them to rehire James Gunn. Oh, Jesus. Okay. According to Deadline. Uh, it appears that... So this is, this is from the Deadline article. Uh, Mike Fleming Jr. described the, 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 the conversation. I'm told it's a discussion that comes in the wake of the whole cast declaring their loyalty to Gunn whose abrupt exit has put a thriving franchise in a rocky place. One would, ha- one would have to label this 11th hour approach to be a long shot, but the community is talking about it. It's not a surprise to me that Kevin Feige and co. would do this. Because Kevin Feige has had carte blanche in the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever since the restructuring took place a few years back where they got rid of the 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 round table that was making all those decisions and kind of uh had Kevin Feige reporting directly to I believe it's uh Bob Iger. Um and it's like so, he hired James Gunn. Like James Gunn is like his guy. Like Right. So I could definitely see him making a pitch. What I don't see happening is him putting anything in, in jeopardy. I see Kevin Feige saying, hey, this is how I feel. And they take it or leave it. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I don't know how much weight his word holds in this situation. It's tough. I think think it's probably – I think it's probably a long shot that we see James Gunn come back. But that being said, I don't don't think it's impossible because I think having – the support of literally everyone involved in the project in the way that he does. Uh, it just, it just seems like, is it even fucking worth it? You know, like, is it worth it to like, what is the perceived gain at this point by continuing to leave James, James Gunn fired? You know, like they, they reacted to this controversy. It bred more controversy. I know we um, pre- or not predicted, but we speculated that maybe their desire to do this had something to do with the Fox merger and their desire to not have drama with the shareholders. That's all approved now, you know? So it's like, 
at this point, it's like, what do they really stand to lose by hiring back James Gunn? You know, like, aside from face, but, man, like, I think Disney cares more about money than face. I think they care more about the profit profitability of Guardians of the Galaxy than a couple bad weeks of PR. I don't. No, not Disney. Because I think nah. I think it, I think it ties into their financial structure for them. That their PR and face to them is what makes them the colossus that they are. But it's like I don't even think this is like a wholly good or bad PR situation, though. No, like, I don't think not. that like them them leaving him fired like doesn't necessarily make them look good either oh shit it you, is, you know what he's not gonna pop up at warner brothers he's gonna pop up at sony and do a sinister six movie i i'd love that uh the the thing is disney's base is family and you can't you there are there's very few family people who you can make the kinds of jokes that james gunn was making yeah and that they're gonna be cool with that that's and it fair. doesn't just affect the one movie. It affects their whole organization. There may be people who boycott Disney outright for rehiring James Gunn. And that's a bit that I mean their business model's family. I'm not a you know, I, I don't have a family. I don't give a shit about what James Gunn said. I'm gonna continue to watch these movies whether they rehire him or not. It doesn't matter. I'm upset, but I'm not that upset. It's not my it's not my money, you know. I'm not in the movie. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the... I mean, you underestimate the amount of, you know, middle America, the really Christian sect, that would be really turned off, I think, by reinstating James Gunn in their children's, you know, movies. I guess I just wonder how many of them are even, like, aware of this situation. You know, like, because that's, that's, a, that's, and I, I don't know. Like, I'm speculating, know, right? This is my thing on that, is I think there's a very high probability that if he were reinstated, the, the, the outrage on the Fox News 24-hour news cycle, I think is fairly probable. They'd fan that flame. The same, the same people fair. who destroyed him now, who destroyed yeah. him before, yeah. will, will just come back. And they'll yeah. just make it a bigger deal. And uh, Disney will then have to stand their ground against the weight of this force that they that they relented to before under far less pressure. Right. Sure. Now, I want to end this conversation by saying that personally, Guardians of the Galaxy is not a franchise that uh, is near and dear to my heart. I enjoyed the first two movies. They're fine. Uh, and I was looking forward to Guardians 3. But what is more devastating about this to me is the fact that we will lose James Gunn's presence within the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it relates to developing future films. When it comes to Marvel Cosmic, there's no one I want more at the helm because I think James Gunn gets it. But also, when it comes to James Gunn, I want him handling... The Fantastic Four. And if he goes, who is going to spearhead things when they jump into the cosmic realm? Tell you what, though. Disney definitely doesn't want that. Marvel's first family being headed by James Gunn. Can't see that. A million (laughs) damn years.
well, I, yeah, I wasn't implying he directed. I was implying that because um, he was supposed to be the curator of all that stuff. Right. Um, but that's actually a segue into our review of Fantastic Four number one. Hot diggity. So let's talk about let's Fantastic Let's talk Four. about it, Sean. We finally... Yeah, after four years of not having these characters in the picture, uh, we finally got Fantastic Four, The Return, uh, by Dan Slott, Sarah Pacelli, uh, Simone Bianchi uh, had some work in here, Scotty Young, and Marte Gracia also had some work in here. Uh, he's the colorist. Um, this is a book that I've been waiting for for a really long time. I'm really happy to even be holding it in my hands. And I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. So let's just let's just jump into it. So the first thing I noticed when I read this is that they weren't really the Fantastic Four. It was really more like the Fantastic Six with the substitutes. Well, you have uh, you have the uh, those Inhumans characters that were once uh, Fantastic Four characters. So like. Fantastic Four isn't really an accurate name. Black Panther was also a member. Storm was a member. It's 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 more than even six, but the idea is just you know these. Four. It's like that's yeah okay. So I learned that's not it's fake news, but that's it's the future the force or foundation, um, whatever it was. Good job, Pete. No, they they were they were core members. Oh, of really? the Fantastic Four at some huh? point. Yeah. Um, at various different points in time, like Reed and Sue, uh, took a break, and Storm mm, and Black Panther okay. joined the team. I didn't know that. You know, different, different stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I was also very excited for this. I really like the Fantastic Four. Um, I've been trying to dig into the Hickman run. Um, as I said, I've been struggling to find the time, but uh, I'm really fascinated by the Fantastic Four because. I like the family dynamic, and through the Fantastic Four, I think Marvel's developed its most in- diverse and interesting uh, catalog of villains. Um, I think you know that's a that's an interesting thought I just had. No one ever mentions the Fantastic Four Rogues Gallery in the same caliber as someone like Spider Man, the X Men, or any of that stuff. But really, the Rogues Gallery is really good. Um, so I was I was also looking forward to this. And go beyond, go beyond Doctor Doom and Galactus. Mole Man, uh, Annihilus, uh, uh, Blastar. Um, Name three so, more. So I read a lot of cosmic Marvel. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of my Scales bit. <laughs> it is Kale's bit. Um, I read a lot of cosmic Marvel, and a lot of those characters uh, coexist in that environment. So I guess that's why that, that that's a little more uh, meaningful for me. Um, so I read this issue with great anticipation and what I walked away from was the feeling that it felt like an issue number zero, uh, in the sense that, I mean, there are a few things that actually happen, but really it's a recap issue to kind of catch readers up on what happened. Why is, why is thing pessimistic about read, uh, Sue and the kids not being around? Um, why is Johnny optimistic about like them coming back? And like, it's kind of a crash course on 
how New York feels about the Fantastic Four. They're very beloved. It's like national news. It's a citywide coverage when just a false alarm of the the emblem appears in the sky. Um, but all in all, this issue is just to catch readers up. And that's what I mean by it being kind of like an issue zero. It isn't really until the end of the issue that you get the sense of like, okay, this is where the story is really going to pick up and and run. So there's not much, there's not much to say on the quality of it other than like, we'll see still because it's a, the issue is a framing device just to familiarize readers on where things are. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, I thought the art was pretty standout though. Like, uh, obviously, Sarah Pacelli is an incredible talent, but um, I just I think in general, like she did some great work in this issue. But uh, in terms of like story, I I very much agreed with that, Phil. Like as somebody who um, you know, like my only real uh, experience with the Fantastic Four is stuff from the Hickman run, and not even all of it, just bits and pieces that you know I had a friend who was really into it at the time and would pass me issues once in a while but um aside from that i really only know them in like a broader context of like for events and stuff you know Uh, like stuff that requires the attention of the marvel universe as it were so i kind of benefited i think from having a catch-up issue like it's not to say that this was not necessary but uh i didn't i didn't feel like there was much to it it felt like an issue zero i would agree with that like i felt uh I was glad to get this like starting point that I can now step off for when the story actually starts with the next issue. But the fact that it was very much an issue that didn't start the story and they even kind of made a joke about it at the end with that Scotty Young comic. Um, I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, it's interesting that you guys are saying these things. Uh, I, got more out of it than you did. But I also have more problems with it than you did. That's Go interesting. On. So what I what I got out of it, uh, so I've been following their story for a long time and, as I said, eagerly anticipating their return. Um, and I didn't know how they would handle it in the sense of, are they just going to be back at the start of the issue with no explanation? Or, you know, how are they going to do this? Um and what we got was more of what we've been getting with Marvel 2-in-1. Marvel 2-in-1 is essentially this. Human Torch and Thing moping around, trying to find ways to bring Reed and Sue and the children back. That's, that's just been what the book has been. Um, and that's fine. It's fine that they've done this. And I think it's fine that they did it with this issue because I think a lot of people who are going to read this don't know that they've been gone necessarily yeah and certainly don't know how they've been gone why they're gone so all, all that's fine um and i even like the fact that by the end of the issue or near the end of the issue uh human torch and thing have kind of reached the point of acceptance of okay they're really gone we have to move on with our lives we have to live our lives that's what they would want that's that's great what i don't care for as much is that I think this is probably the least exciting way that you could bring them back. Yeah, man, I thought it was a slog. It, yeah, for for an issue one, even for an issue zero, it doesn't do anything 
to set up anything other than them coming back, which is what the issue is. It's the Fantastic Four number one. That's what it's about. It's it's about them coming back. So I shouldn't have to wait until issue two for them to come back. Yes, that's, um, that's what I thought. Which brings me to my next problem, which is that they should have reintroduced the Fantastic Four in an event. The reason that I feel that way is because it gives you the ability to use them in, the, in, a, in an interesting way to have them come back and help solve the big problem. You know, it gives you a pop for the event, you know. Um, bring them back and maybe they know what, like there's, a, there's the current um, event going on over at Marvel Infinity. Uh, inf- inf- sorry, not Infinity, Infinity War. Uh, maybe they have some knowledge that will help the Avengers save the day. That would be cool. Uh, instead of that, they're coming back in an issue two of a book. That's not heat to me. That's not that's not hot at all. I mean, even if it had just been uh, the first issue, that would have been something. Like then it would have been like because I that's how I was thinking. I was like, oh, this issue is an event. Because it's the return of the Fantastic Four. But J.K., it wasn't. So. Right. And and, and all all respect to Dan Slott. It's very. It, to do what you're suggesting, yeah, Pete, yeah. would be very hard. It would be, it would be very hard to bring us to where, to where Johnny and Ben are. And then also reintroduce the Fantastic Four in the same issue. That would be tough. So they shouldn't have put him in that position. Um, or I don't know. Go ahead, Phil. I don't think I like the idea of introducing him in an event. I I I generally don't like that as a rule of thumb, just because I think most events are miss. Um, I don't need that pop. I think I like I like things to be self-contained by and large. And if you were gonna do it this way, I think this should have been an issue zero. Even though it's a slog, that kind of thing gives it permits. It permits patience from readers because they're like, okay, this is an issue zero. We're just getting the context and the backstory. And now, I guess this is the detriment to Dan Slott as a writer. Um, there has been multiple occasions where something like this happens. I think of Green Lantern Rebirth by Jeff Johns. We have to reintroduce a character into continuity who's been gone for a long time. And that was a bang. And... No one missed Hal Jordan, except for people that were in their 30s at that point, because for most people at that point, their Green Lantern was either someone like John Stewart, Guy Gardner, or more you know pervasive at the time, because he was the t- titular character, Kyle Rayner. But he was able to introduce this Silver Age character that people thought were maybe was maybe a little antiquated with a bang. That didn't happen here. And I think these characters permit themselves to that, because to, my, to his benefit, I do like the way he made characters interact i thought his ben grim and his johnny storm popped in a way those characters should it's just the story structure didn't lend itself to you caring and i think that's because he's trying really hard to build why they're still doing what they're doing and why reed and sue are gone when I think you're right i think the issue should have been them all together and narratively you thread the missing pieces together. See, I have two issues with what you're suggesting. One is that there's a huge gulf of difference between reintroducing Hal Jordan 
and reintroducing Reed and Sue. Number one, how Jordan, like you said, was not missed in the same way that Reed and Sue have been. So Jeff Johns' task was to make him into the main character of the Green Lantern world, to make him into a marketable, bankable figure. The task of Dan Slott is not that. It's to just bring back two beloved characters. Uh, And then also deal with Ben and Johnny, who are the other half of the four, who still are around. That's one issue. The other issue is that zero issues are lame. That's true. They're they're lame because it's a cop-out. It's a, oh, well, you know what? We need more room than an issue one provides, but we're not going to charge you $8 for it. We're going to charge you $4 for this and $4 for this. Uh, and 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 the, the issue zero is inevitably going to be junk because it's not nothing's going to happen. Yeah, well, that's what happens. Yeah, in this right. Issue one. Exactly. And I, I think I, just and, to and build on your point, Phil, I would rather have them just been upfront about that if they felt like they needed this. You know, if they needed the uh, the issue to catch us up, fine. But like, just call it an issue zero. Or to your point, Sean, make it a, a double sized issue one and charge me a little bit more, like. They already did. No, did how much was it? Yeah. That the price oh, it was? Holy shit. I bought like a bunch of books at once. I didn't pay attention. <laughs> and, and and just narratively, I just would have gone a different route. Um, this is Dan Slott's story now. Like, we have a narrative here. You don't have to catch, all, catch, catch us up That's all fair. at once, you know? Um, just tell your story. And I, I guess this is his story, but, like, I question your choice of narrative. I think you guys also prefer a different kind of story than what is what Marvel does, which is you, the reality is you can't you can't expect that there's going to be a self-contained story that brings back two characters who have been literally missing for four years. No, I think you can't you can't think that that's what they're going to. I think you can do that though because I think you can weave that missing piece throughout. That's the intrigue, is where have they been? Tell that story throughout your run. That's what you do with someone like Hal Jordan when he's gone. You can explain how, you know, he went from being uh, the Spectre to being the Green Lantern again. You you weave that narrative. That's, that's but, as good but he as... Wasn't, but he wasn't gone. He was the Spectre. Yeah, but you, you, you thread out how this happened, though. You could do that. Like, you could easily tell a story. Let me put it this way. You can easily tell a story where Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben are all back, and the mystery is, where have you been? And that's what you present to the reader throughout a story arc or two. If Marvel deprived me the moment of seeing them reunite, I would be screaming on this podcast. Okay. You cannot start start the book with them already being back together, not having shown their reuniting. In a prior comic, I, there's no way. So, okay, that's that's where we differ. I could totally, be, I'm totally fine with that. And that's the point. You don't, you don't have any care about what the fact that they're gone or what it was like for four years without reading a Fantastic Four comic. Right. That's not important. And I, and I think that's true. And I think that, but I think the dialogue that you guys are having speaks to the problem that Dan Slott is facing. Right of like, what is the right way to bring yeah, these characters right, back? Yeah, and I think the yeah. the real answer is there isn't a good answer. That like bringing characters back is fucking messy, 
and hopefully hopefully issue two works better for us you know um because this wasn't bad it was just not interesting and well let's uh, let, let, okay. let's talk about what worked yeah because we're we're, we're, we're it's not bad it, at all and it's not it's a not bad, bad at all no Phil brought up the fact that he liked Ben and Johnny's dialogue and, and how they were portrayed. And I think that that I was one Ben of the in best particular was really book. good. That Dan... Yeah, Dan really understands these characters. It's very clear from issue one that he mm-hmm. gets who they're supposed to be. Hopefully. Because I think of Man of Steel number two and three where it was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Ben just seems to get the dialogue and Cadence and Superman. It's, and it's like, that's oh, boy. Fair. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. We're talking about... No, no, because you're talking about a writer who has a track record that's bad versus a writer with a track record that's good. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Relax. (laughs) Yeah. I was kind of hoping that would be instigated. I got to keep it on brand. I got to keep it on brand. (laughs) Also, uh, this is a spoiler, but if you're listening to this, you should, you should, you know, be prepared. At the end of the book, Reed and Sue make a very brief appearance, mm-hmm. and I thought this was like perfect that shot dialogue of Reed them too, where they're talking yeah, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. it's just the silhouette of the two of them working on the machine or whatever. That that was a such a great shot. Yeah. So Sue says, uh, "Is this really going to work? What you plan to do seems impossible." And Reed says, "One question: Do you believe in me?" And Sue says, "Always." So Reed says, "And that is why I can do the impossible." Perfect. That is that is the Fantastic Four. Yeah, to a T. That is it. And I'm so happy to see that Dan Slott in that just that page was able to encapsulate what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about love, hope, and family. That is the Fantastic Four. And that's what it is. Reed can do anything. That's yeah. Reed is a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. He can. He's the guy who cr- can can stop Galactus by just creating a machine in a twenty-two page comic that ends it all. Yep. And the only reason he can do that is because Sue Storm loves and believes in him, and to a lesser extent, the rest of his family. Well, except when Namor is around, or the Black Panther. That's a fair point. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you think Sue is trying to get home to see Namor? No, no. T'Challa. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I also really liked, and I know Pete will like this too, uh, or he also probably liked this. I mean, uh, the scene when uh, Ben and Alicia are just in um, in uh, Central Park, and uh, she wants to get a cat, and Ben's like, "Oh, come on!" And then they're all just rubbing up on him, and he's like, "I guess these fur <laughs> balls are dead." He's man. literally just covered in cats. <laughs> it's so adorable. <laughs> yeah. I really like that too. It's yeah. just, it was it was playful. It was a it was a slice of life issue more than anything, and I think that Fantastic Four do that better than almost anybody. Uh, the X Men also do slice of life really well, um, but I think these these are people who are normal in a lot of ways in the sense that they have regular lives. A lot of times we see superhero comics where these people, the only time you see them is in the costume and they don't do anything normal. Yeah, let it breathe. Right. And and, and and this was that. Superman comics are another one that really lend themselves to the slice of life things. It's the whole Clark Kent thing. And uh, I also really enjoy it when Batman comics do it because it doesn't happen often. I love putting Bruce Wayne in a real world scenario. There was that uh, thing 
in Tom King's run kind of early on where it's him and his family at a fucking fast yes. food restaurant. That's yeah. that's superhero themed. Yeah, loved it. It was Batman. I, I, I also just liked yeah. like, <laughs> like I remember when I was trying to sell uh, Andy on on Tom King's run, um, like when we had read the first like twelve or whatever, and um, I just liked how like they definitely played with, or I should say they Tom definitely played with like him like making like dad jokes and stuff like that and just like having a just like a just just be a little bit more human you know and like I, I think to your point like the Fantastic Four at least with my experience with them that's something that's always been good you know because it's like it's the family dynamic you know and like I thought that like like having the moment of like Ben getting engaged and then like yeah, that was okay. a, that was a beautiful moment yeah. in and of itself. But then, yeah, she's gonna have a hard time finding a ring. Right, him. Jesus fucking Christ! Um, <laughs> but then that coupled with you know then what, telling Johnny and then asking Johnny to be his best man, and then him flipping out, you know, and like, and then that just being a catalyst for them like having conversation that they needed to have, you know, it's like, that's family, you know, like, you know, like he, like he has this negative reaction. He's like, you ungrateful little, you know, like, and he's a, like that, uh, just that, I don't know, that whole exchange. And then that it ends in them like embracing, you know, and just being like, it's like, it's okay. Like we're, you know, we're here for you. Um, is like, it's, it's just human. And like, that's, that's special. You know, like that's stuff that you can't, that's just good writing. You know? Yeah, I think the beginning and the end were like the highlights. I think in the middle, I thought it slogged a bit, you know? Because everything I really remember is like Johnny at, at the baseball park and Ben at uh the at, uh at the at the regular park and then the ending where he gets engaged and you see the teaser. Uh, all the stuff in the middle that's more exposition heavy, uh, 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 but it was like it felt like it was just like all right, we gotta get through this stuff. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Um, but I think despite w- with those very real and valid criticisms, that made me feel really positive because I'm like, yeah, yeah it's and it's like nicely. if you got those moments right, once you get all the info dumping out of the way, we'll probably be fine. Like once we're actually off to the races, I feel like it seems like Slot has the. Um, Compliment. I already Let's did. I just said he was. I just said that was good writing. Uh, what what I was going to say is, I think to Sean's point, I think he he gets these characters, and I think that that's all you need for a good Fantastic Four book is somebody that gets the characters and gives a shit about them, and he clearly does. And I think if he can continue to deliver on moments like, you know, the farmers market moment. Or, you know, the engagement or that conversation with Sue and Reed, we're in for a good ride. And uh, I, I wanted to borrow this real quick from uh, from Andy. Him and I were talking about it the other day, and he was saying that um, something that he often felt about Dan Slott's Spider-Man when he read it was that a lot of times the ideas on their face uh, seem bad, but that the execution was often really good. And he's like, and I... That's like the opposite of Scott <laughs> Snyder. Well, and... Zack Snyder, whoa. No, Scott Snyder. Really? The ideas seem really good in the Yeah, I mean, he feels that way. Like, okay. so he was saying that about Metal, where it's like, ah, uh, his last issues are... Hmm. 
Um, well, metal idea. But anyway, what 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 Andy was was getting across was that that's actually a great fit for the Fantastic Four because they do really well in the realm of kind of the weird and wacky and silver agey kind of stories um, that maybe sound goofy on their face but actually really deliver. And I feel like it seems like yeah, maybe Slot's a good pick for that. So. Wow, it sounds like you're definitely going to read Spider-Man finally. We'll fucking we'll see. We'll see, Phil. <laughs> it also it also sounds like we should have Andy on the yeah, show maybe sometime. sometime. Maybe. Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. Uh the last thing about this issue was the Doom epilogue. Doctor mm-hmm. Doom. Oh epilogue. right. Yeah. Uh, with Simone Bianchi on art. I that for me fell in with the kind of slow parts of the narrative of like this also felt very much like an issue number zero thing. Like it was kind of like, why are we doing this right now? You know, like what, like did this need to happen right now? Like, I I don't, I feel like that scene could have just as easily been in a issue number zero, a free comic book day teaser or issue two or four or 10, you know, it's like, it it just kind of was like, like, I get it. Doom is intrinsically tied to the fantastic four and read and, but it was just kind of like, I don't know. It just felt tacked on for me. Like, I, I didn't feel like I got a lot from it. Um, it felt like a lot of just like, again, similar like callbacks to what Doom has kind of been going through recently. And we're ready for a return to form for him. It's like, okay, I love Dr. Doom. So I'm, I'm just bring him back. I don't need a, he's back, you know, like scene, you know, just, I would rather him show up because Reed and Sue are back and conflict, you know, but that's, that's me. Like, and for you, I, maybe that worked better. Um, once again, I think the main compliment is it seems like he's got kind of the voice uh-huh. down of, sure. of Victor Von Doom. And, and, and so, again, the art, that um, art, that scene of him was, oh, was where really he good. just shows up for the first time and he's like all mangled and he's just got the magic, you know, uh, that looked fucking awesome. They should uh, they should bring over the ultimate version when he had goat legs. Ultimate no, Doom was a chump, okay. man. <laughs> so, Simone Bianchi is one. I have more fond memories of that person's art than than almost any That's other bad. artist. Wow, um, high praise. Yeah, yeah, and this is no exception. When it comes to the way they showcase Doom right here, uh, I think. In general, I don't really care for epilogues. I think it was a necessary evil because let's say you lapsed since Secret Wars and didn't read Marvel 2-in-1 at all. Then the last thing you saw was that Doctor Doom was defeated, but also that he had his face, his face was uh, fixed. So to recalibrate and show, okay, in the in the intervening time. Uh, he has been scarred again, both physically and mentally, and that he's not been the ruler of Latveria. He's kind of let Latveria fall by the wayside and all these things. I think that's important context for, and also that he's he's kind of like almost good now in a way. Uh, he was he was actually good for a few years. Um, I think that's important context for his return to I would imagine do battle with the Fantastic Four, and like you said, Pete, they're intrinsically linked. So I didn't have any problems with this. 
I was happy to see Doom back in the green. He was wearing a different costume for a while. Uh, back with the mask, him putting back him putting that mask back on was a big moment. Your true face. Um, Right. Uh, it, not not I, to undercut it, it, that moment, I just remember when he said that it, it made me think of like a luchador, where he's like, "It's like this is the face I chose." <laughs> I mean, it kind of, yeah, is, it no, kind no, of is no, that, for though. sure. I just that's uh, it's why I always preferred Victor Von Doom having minor facial scars uh, because of his own vanity that he can't show his face, as, as opposed to being severely disfigured like the Demon Kane. <laughs> so before we cut out I want to ask you guys something Alright, what do you got for us? So We on this podcast Like pretty much everyone Have lambasted Marvel For taking the Fantastic Four Off the table For the last few years Now With this issue It's clear That there was storytelling to be done by taking them off the table. They, human, the Human Torch and, and Ben Grimm have gone through a lot as a result, and we see that, and we see that, narratively speaking, that has made for some good stories. I mean, this one, and then you guys haven't read it, but Marvel 2 and 1 as well, good stuff seeing them go through this pain. So, we always talk about these companies, particularly the big two, being allowed to take their characters in different directions and move them forward and allow them to grow. This is part of that growth. Did Marvel, in light of everything that's now happened, deserve the criticism that they received for taking the Fantastic Four off the table when both companies have always done this they took Batman off the table. They took Cap off the table. They've taken Wolverine off the table. They never took Batman off the table. That, yes, they that's did. That's always been fucking circulating. No, no, no. I mean, like, the uh, the Bruce Wayne. Oh, well, that's, that's not a big deal. The title was always circulating. Yes, but what I'm what I'm getting at is, like, the, the character you associate with that was gone. Wolverine was uh, so- gone. You know, I think I think the reason that that that's different is twofold, uh, and I do think they deserve the criticism because I think the decision to remove roots. Um, I almost just said Rue and Seed. Um, Jesus Christ, I'm hung- I'm fucking hungry, you guys. Sue and and Reed um, was not creatively motivated. You know, like it it was done because of a larger publishing initiative. Um, and I, regardless of if the quality of the books, uh, that came in the wake are good, you know, or the story decisions that were made were good. Um, I don't think that that means that Marvel should be free of criticism for that decision. Um, because it was just, it was a fuck you to fans, frankly. And it's like, I know a lot of people say that with like a very like kind of entitled attitude, but it is to take characters that people love and get rid of them because you don't own the movie rights to them. And you want to play hardball with Fox is shitty. And I understand it. And it's, it's fine. They're within their right to do that. I don't think that that means that people can't give them shit for it, frankly. And when it comes to like, whether or not, that was a good decision in the long run. I think that's going to depend a lot on what, how we feel about this run in, you know, 
a couple months, years, whatever, you know, however long it lasts. If this run is fucking excellent and we can say, man, it was so like having them away for so long made their return so satisfying and it got us on this new thread that really breathed life into the IP, then sure, then we can say hindsight was 2020 and it, and it worked out, right? But I don't think that that was a calculated move from Marvel to freshen up the Fantastic Four, you know? Yeah, I, I- so, uh, I, I, I more or less echo Pete's sentiment. And and to what I was saying earlier, <clears throat> the difference of removing someone like Bruce Wayne was a decision just to shake things up. Um, but Batman, the title. Same with Wolverine. Ditto right? for we, had, we had Laura take over. And, and, and ditto for Superman when he, passed, when he died from Doomsday in 1993. Uh, the title still kept going. Who was the third guy? Um, it was Steel, Superboy, was, and... What about... Okay. Yeah, the Eradicator, Steel, Superboy, Cyborg and Superman. Uh, yeah. Cyborg Superman. Um, in this case, Fantastic Four, the title was pulled and the characters were pulled. Some of them were put on different teams and in the different situations, but the, the situation is that they were pulled from the headline. And it was completely driven by bullshit from the film studios. And to me, that merits all the criticism in the world. The fact that they were able to sidestep that to an extent and create a story, that is almost like damage control. You're, you're, you're trying to smother a fire by actually create something decent out of it. Um, and that is almost an obligation of them. They have to make their return actually mean something they have to make their return narratively significant because otherwise it only it, it, that that's just shitty editorial work um so yeah they completely deserve the scrutiny they've received the last three years over over this whole situation and no matter what comes out of it it doesn't change the fact that that motivation was driven out of of something that had nothing uh, had very little to do with the sales of the books, because I understand Fantastic Four's proper titles weren't the top selling books. That's not why those characters were disbanded and, and why those that why that title was barred. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel two ways about this. I think on the one hand, when I started reading comics, Thor was dead and there were no Thor comics. Uh the Hulk got sent into space and there were there were Hulk comics, but he was out of the the picture. Um, the Wasp had she died and she wasn't around. Uh, when I start, when I first started reading comics, Scarlet Witch was not around. So the idea of characters being MIA is not weird to me. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Yeah, I think, and I also think that the way that they handled it by having them you know, go off into space to have other adventures or whatever was pretty good, especially because Secret Wars felt like a capstone on the Fantastic Four story. And I think if there wasn't the specter of the Fox issue looming over this decision, people would see it very differently. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. would, I, I would see it differently. Yeah, I would too. Absolutely. Uh, especially, you know, if you go back a few a few dozen episodes, we did an, an episode about what really happened with the Fantastic Four and catching Sobolski and others in lies about why they took them off the table for real. And we know for a fact the reason why. It was because of the Fox thing. 
So, with that in mind, I do feel like Marvel deserves the criticism. But, I will also say that if in the wake of Secret Wars, they had released a new number one for the Fantastic Four, like, three months later, I definitely would not care as much as I do right now. And for them to have been able to generate this much excitement over a book that most people consider to be stale three years ago... Yep. That's yeah, pretty they, cool. I think there's a real chance for them to breathe some new life into the Fantastic Four here. And based on this first issue, it seems like Dan Slott uh, might just be the man for the job. Yeah. So, um, that's uh, uh, yeah. uh, like you said, from when characters get pulled for narrative reasons or just to kind of spice them up, no, that's good because not necessarily the revolving door of death. That's another topic entirely. But when 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 characters get pulled just to kind of you know space it out a little bit because sometimes things do get stale, there's no issue with that. Um, so sometimes it's just a necessity for certain characters, um, especially if there's just not a writer that has something meaningful to do with them. Um, it's just that looming fox shadow, and that's I think that's everyone's beef. It's the same thing with the X-Men thing we talked about uh, 30 minutes ago. Uh, you kind of smashed this entire IP into irrelevant, uh, into relative irrelevant, irrelevance relative to where they were 25 years ago. It just comes off petty. It's bad PR, but they don't give a fuck. Clearly not. So, uh, hopefully other, other people out there, you guys have, have read this issue and have your own thoughts. I would love to know how you felt about issue one of Fantastic Four, and also where you land on the critique of Marvel for this. Do you think that Marvel deserves the criticism that they've received for taking them off the board for three years? Or do you think that they're within their rights to do whatever they want and that uh, this ultimately worked out for the best? And I guess those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. What I'm really asking for is your opinion on this whole topic. So there are plenty of ways you can get at us. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on SoundCloud. We are all over the place. Um, we are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. The best way to hit us up is to write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. You can write in with your random question of the week, a buy or sell, or your thoughts on what we discussed on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. And last but not least, we're on YouTube where you can like this video, subscribe to our channel, share with your friends, and drop us a comment. Those subscribes help us out a ton. Uh, and they are free to do, so make sure to head over there and do that, even if you only listen through a podcast service. And while you're there, hit the notification bell to make sure that you receive awareness about when our stuff is being launched on YouTube. So, let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to get me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete, wherever, you know, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I was going to say wherever social media is sold. That's what I say on the video game, pals. Um, so go hit me up there. Talk to me about your thoughts on Fantastic Four number one or any of the other stuff we discussed on this or any of our other shows. And I'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, and if you want to get some more content from me, you can catch me and Sean on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, uh, which posts the day after this on podcast service 
services and Fridays on YouTube. Uh, go check it out. It's a good time if you're a gamer. And um, we have a great show for you tomorrow. Uh, we've been in a bit of a news lull lately, but um, we had the Smash Direct this week. Uh, Evo was last week. There's a ton of cool stuff to talk about. Uh, so it should be a great episode. I think we're going to have a very special guest, our buddy uh, Ed from the Party Nerds. So it should be a good time. Go check that shit out. Um, we love doing that show. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, go give it a listen. And then uh, you can also catch me on our Let's Play show, Pals Play, Monday through Thursday on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thecomicspals. With Thompson from the Video Game Pals, we're playing some more Detroit this week. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, you can find Kale, our dear friend Kale, who is traversing the globe. I think in his case, it's a very similar thing to the Fantastic Four, where we just kind of left him to his devices, and now he's in space somewhere doing his own thing. You can follow him on Toto and Toe. That's T O I B I N G O. Um, He also writes for Panels Publishing. You can check out their shit. Just type in Panels Publishing on Google. You'll find you'll find that sweet jam. Check out his comic from the deep. Um, Tell and then tweet at him and tell him how much Common Rider sucks, and uh, he'll get he'll get curmudgeonly with you because that's his deal. Um, as for Marco, don't even bother with his plugs. He's getting reprogrammed right now, so when he comes back, he might change his username to, like, uh, Bruce Wayne as Batman or something, for all we know, because he's going to be really into superhero comics when he comes back. Um, At Mr. Marco Pennyworth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find him on Mr. Marco Animoto on social media. I don't know why you'd follow him, though. Uh, follow his, his multiple different Earth equivalents. They're, they're really interesting. One of them is a jock. Uh, one of them is really into man thing or something. I think he wants to be man thinged. Um, as for me, you can follow me at Cyborg Bebop. C Y B O R G B E Bop. At Cyborg Bebop. Um, and uh, check out our Batman Gothic episode, which just dropped a few a week or so ago. Um, it's a book by Grant Morrison and Klaus Jansen. Uh, it's pretty good. It's it's another string of our long line of excellent book clubs. Oh, yeah. And then if you want to join us for the next one, we're reading Four Kids Walking to a Bank. So right. you can pick that up and get caught up and read along with us. There you go. That's right. As for me, I'm at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up to talk about how excited you are and happy to see the return of Reed and Sue. With that, we are the Comics Pal signing off. See you next week. Josh Trank killed the Fantastic Four. You might be right. <laughs>